in other developed countries is the government's responsibility. The government feels it's its responsibility to take care, to provide health care, right? We're talking about developed countries. In this country, it was not considered the government's responsibility. So the government took responsibility for education. We have public school education to a certain level, roads, sanitation, right? These are things that the government decided to take responsibility for. But the government decided early on that this was not what they need to provide for its citizens. So to begin with, the healthcare, like before World War I, was intrinsically tied to money. It started as a private industry. Welcome to another fabulous episode of A Little Impolite. Today, we're hanging out with someone who is a healer. Well, she's not just a healer. She's a problem solver and a creator, the type of people I like to hang out with. And when life throws her lemons, she doesn't make lemonade. She just sets up an entire lemonade franchise. So that's the kind of people I like to hang around with. Put your hands together or whatever you do, clap, dance, wherever you're listening to this podcast for Dr. E. Fret Lamandre. I hope I said that name correctly. Or as she's coolly known, Dr. E, which I'll probably just call her that the whole time. She's going to join us here in a second. She has a pretty cool story. I've uh, been following her journey a little bit for several months now um, since I first discovered her from conjuring up innovative primary care solutions for her community she, to spotting gaps and filling in with groundbreaking methods and services. She's a medical entrepreneur and she's the one we didn't know we needed, to be honest with you. She's got all kinds of shit going on that I'm excited to dive into. And she's even figured out a way to give her patients full attention without the pesky distraction of charting, which is a big time suck because I know that uh, from a good doctor friend of mine. He told me he spends like 60% of his time some days just filling out charts. So I'm like, um, when are you curing people's lives? That's <laughs> kind of funny. It was like a contradiction there. So she's obviously got some superpowers in that space. And she's here to sprinkle some wisdom, share some of her tales from her journey, and maybe, just maybe inspire us to spot and see some opportunities of our own around us and our own little world. So um, disclaimer alert, as always, before diving into the good stuff and bringing Dr. E on, let's get something straight and very clear to you all. Everything you're about to hear on the show is brewed from the bubbling cauldron of my own brain. These questions, these wild thoughts, these zany ideas and opinions, they're all mine. So take them with a grain of salt, dash of humor, if you will. Let's be a little lighthearted about it or whatever you do on the side to get through the day. Remember, opinions are like belly buttons. We've all got one. Mine just happens to have its own microphone. So here we go. Enjoy the show. Welcome to A Little Impolite podcast that's unafraid to dive into unconventional thoughts and ideas. I'm your host, Devo, inviting you to embark on a journey into thought-provoking discussions, expansive revelations, and the stories of inspiring individuals. We're here to challenge norms, provoke intellectual curiosity, and engage in candid conversations about society, culture, and the human condition, all with a slight touch of polite impropriety. From experts questioning the status quo to creatives daring to think differently, you'll hear a spectrum of voices that aim to shake us out of our comfort zones. So are you ready for this enlightening journey where the expected meets the unexpected and polite society meets a dash of rebellion? Buckle up, stay curious, and let's get a little impolite. Shut up and sit down. Hey, hey. Hi. That was the best intro ever. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. It's the hook. My it's producer says I need a hook. Get people listening. 
How so you doing, opinions, doctor? Opinions are like belly buttons. We all have them. Okay, I like that. It's true. We yeah. all have them. Everyone does, right? You would know better than anyone, huh? Is there anyone who doesn't have a belly button? Like, is that scientifically like it's impossible, right? It's currently impossible. The way we give birth currently, it's impossible. <laughs> well, in in fifty years, we'll be having the same answers as they're doing these lab babies now. If you don't need an umbilical cord, but I just don't see a way around it, so I think we're all going to have them. <laughs> it's like the bioengineered meat that's suddenly about to hit the shelves. I understand. So there'll be bioengineered humans that don't have belly buttons. Well, anyway. we kind of already are bioengineered, but yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize how much bioengineering was going into our mainstream food. Like every label I pick up now says has been genetically modified. And I'm like, that can't actually be a good thing because for thousands of years we didn't have this and people got along just fine. And now suddenly we're like turning ourselves into mutations and mutants and whatnot. Like what's going to happen with this? Okay, so first of all, welcome to America where GMO is allowed. But if this is where we're starting, I mean, no one really knows what's happening, right? And you can argue, you could say, to start, do we want to be here? I could be here. It's like we could argue and say that um, everything is kind of genetically modified in the sense of like hundreds of years ago when you started crossbreeding, that's a genetic modification. Like creating, see, this watermelon is a genetic modification. Mm. So to a certain extent, genetic modification has been with us for, for a really long time. But this is a different level of genetic you know, engineering. So that, that crossbreeding genetic modification, it has its own, you know, issues but now that we're getting really technologically advanced we don't know enough to know what we don't know we don't even know what questions to ask but it just intuitively feels like this is going to be a shit show yeah well we weren't going to go down this rabbit hole but i will for just one more second so you mentioned something that was interesting we have always modified fruits and vegetables and all sorts of stuff but now we're introducing synthetic ingredients into it stuff that was grown in the lab and i think that's where the from at least the stuff that i'm discovering that's where the wrinkle is going to start occurring. Yeah, we're putting synthetic and we're modifying it like on a cellular level, like we're injecting things into things as opposed to like attaching two trees together and see how nature runs its course. We kind of like, you know, speed it along differently. So I can't imagine that this is going to turn out very well. You said injecting. Sorry, that's a buzzword for me that just gives me, I'll go and all Tourette's. So I'm not going to have a oh, pause with that. No. <laughs> Let's just let's just jump straight into the show. First of all, thank you for joining. It's been a while since we have been planning the show, so I'm excited that it finally came together, albeit some technical issues on my side, which I think you're just punishing me for today it's, with your tardiness. Sort of I'm like, sorry. I see how you roll. It's all <laughs> this, my dude fault. Gave me the, this dude gave me the wrong link last time, so I'm going to fuck with this show this time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm so sorry. It's just so it's not like good. me. It's I apologize. Good. So let's talk I'm about Big Elephant. I'm, I'm apologizing only to your listeners, not to you. It's fine. Yeah, I see that. <laughs> now your question just got tougher. So um, oh, I want to okay. talk about the elephant. And I'm going to open up a Pandora's box and just jump straight into it since uh, we are a little impolite. I want to talk about the healthcare, dirty little healthcare secret that seems to be brewing across a lot of people's minds right now. Why is it that so many people are now stepping forward, including people within the industry themselves, that are saying healthcare has become more about filling pockets and curing patients? And what's your position on that space? Oh, my God. Why are they coming up now? They're coming up now probably because we have access and we have more access than we ever had to information. But, oh, my goodness, we have to go back in time and understand that this is not new. So in other developed countries is the government's responsibility. The government feels it's its responsibility to take care, to provide health care. Right. We're talking about developed countries. In this country, it was not considered the government's responsibility. So the government took responsibility for education. We have public school education to a certain level, roads, 
sanitation, right? These are things that the government decided to take responsibility for. But the government decided early on that this was not what they need to provide for its citizens. So to begin with, the healthcare, like before World War I, was intrinsically tied to money. It started as a private industry. You know, initially it was like you had the doctor in the town, people paid with a chicken, there was a transaction involved, right? But it was, it was never something that the government set up. And then eventually from that, so we paid with chickens and eventually we paid with money. And then hospitals became a thing. And the way it kind of morphed is that hospitals realized, hey, no one's coming in here, right? Hospitals was a place to die. How do we get people in here? So insurance was developed. Insurance was developed. And they said, hey, it started with school teachers. Um, and they said, hey, school teachers, if you give us whatever extra pennies per week, it will allow you to have one week stay in the hospital, whether that's childbirth or sickness. And so the idea of health insurance was born. But if you notice, every time I, I every this is a monetary conversation. At all times, at insurances, Blue Cross Blue Shield, all of that started to fill the hospitals. Eventually, that trickled down to fill. Oh, the the doctors were like, oh yeah, we we need people to come too. So then they started involved in the insurance game. What happens with insurance is you get this this distancing, right? So if before I have to pay you a chicken or a dollar, I have to think twice before I go. But if a third party is paying for it, I will more likely go because it doesn't feel like I'm paying you. So this becomes a problem because now this, so initially insurance is like, this is great. We get paid, you know, $50 a month for every person. People don't use it. This is great. Insurance companies are making a lot of money. And then they realize, oh shit, everyone keeps going. <laughs> so insurances are like, we have to keep increasing our rates because people are actually using this thing, right? So the solution that people weren't going, now people were overusing it because they're not paying that dollar, right? So the reason I bring this history lesson is that this is not just happening now, this is how it started. So when we talk about dismantling, we it's not the past five years, 10 years. This is literally the, the way healthcare in this, in this country was born was from a financial conversation. And so then the next iteration of that was there were two kinds of insurances, one for just sick people, one for people who aren't sick. And you kind of like just fast forward to around the 60s where you have, now you have the government realized, you know what, we really should take care of some of our citizens. So Medicaid was introduced where we'll take care of the poorest of the poor who can't pay for insurance. Medicare was introduced, so we'll take care of our old people. So the government felt it was a responsibility to take care of the very poor and the very old. And Medicaid is also the very sick, like people with severe disabilities. But anyone in the middle have to fend for yourself. And most people in the middle in America will only get insurance because events become so unaffordable if they have a job. So if you have a job, you're very poor or you're very old in this country, you will have had insurance, you have access. But if you're, uh, you know, not employed, and that doesn't mean not working, doesn't mean you're a bum, you might have three part-time jobs, right? If you're not employed, if you're a mom staying home, taking care of your kids, um, if you're an entrepreneur, right? All these people didn't have insurance. This is the craziness before the Affordable Care Act. This is the craziness that brought on the Affordable Care. We forget it was crazy. If you didn't have a job, you weren't poor, you weren't old, you had no access to care because all of it in the middle is a business, okay? So 
Affordable Care Act came out. Some people call it Obamacare. Came out and said, this is a shit show. The government should take care of its citizens. Like it should take care of health. But the system was already in play. So what they did was they turned to Medicaid and they said, hey, Medicaid, I need you to cover more people than just the poor. And it's called expansion, Medicaid expansion. Let's expand this Medicaid. By the way, tell me when to pause because I'll keep going. No, keep going. I have a couple of comments, um, namely around the chickens who have always been oppressed, which I'm not quite sure why they're always so oppressed. And then the middle class. The middle class seems to be like the chickens. Like we're always the ones that are left in, yes, in the dust. Always the one. like, always we're the, the chickens. One, yeah. We're always traded for some collateral item. Yeah. And, and this, in this case, it's like our, our health care, our freedoms, our rights, we're, we're being traded away to somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. So we have this, we said we have this Medicare expansion and now more people are supposedly covered under the umbrella. And the whole idea was to kind of force the private insurance to say, hey, you have to start taking some Medicaid plan. And initially it was really working out well. Can I actually pause you there? Yeah. Just for those yeah. people who don't really understand how the insurance system works, just in a nutshell, and if I'm wrong, correct me, but we pay a monthly stipend to a healthcare provider for insurance. And then if something happens to us and we're qualified under their plan, then the insurance company pays for our, our procedure, our, our, our health care, whatever it is. Otherwise, that money is just built up and put into a coffer. But from what I understand, it's actually reinvested back into something. So they're not actually just holding onto our money like a bank. They're using that money and supplying it and redistributing it across all of their members and paying for those services, correct? Yeah, and you really bring up a good point because... I'm glad you brought this piece up because so if every single person pays $50 a month, I wish, right? Every single person pays $50 a month. The people who are sicker are probably going to use more resources and the people who are not sick are going to go for their annual visit. And that kind of offsets, offsets it. So in order, this is a really good point. I'm so happy you brought it up. In order for the insurance company to survive, you must have healthy people in it. If you only have sick people that are constantly using resources, it will crash. And so this is a really important piece because when the Affordable Care Act came out, it forced what was called the mandate. I don't know if you remember the mandate. The mandate said, everyone must be insured, whether you like it or not. And if you're not going to be insured, you're going to pay like a fine. And the reason that was there is because we needed healthy people. We needed the 26-year-olds, the 30-year-olds to pay in to keep costs low so that our, our 50-year-olds with diabetes could get access. But then it got, so, so financially, any insurance company only works if you have sick, right? Sick and non-sick. Otherwise, it, you could see where that goes. Yeah. So it got political. And the very first thing in the politics, doesn't matter which side and I are going to get involved in red or blue. But the very first thing that happened was the mandate was removed. The minute that mandate removed, it was the beginning of the downfall of health insurance because now only sick people are there. Okay. So that's. So, so this is kind of like where we are now coming into, we're in like around, you know, 2010-ish. Okay, so now we have an industry that's it's just not working. The other thing that happened, which was supposed to help, and then I'm, I'm getting really close to your answer. The other thing that happened was that in the Affordable Care Act, they came up with codes. Before the codes, doctors wrote whatever the fuck they want on a chart and charged whatever they wanted. I saw you for five minutes. Here's a thousand dollars. I need a thousand dollars. And it was like scribble back to chickens, chicken scratch. And, um, but now they forced a coding system. You have to put a code for this and a code for this and a code for this and a code for this, because they thought if they force people to code and we can analyze these codes, we can manage cost. 
Like, no, you can't get $400 for looking at me for five minutes. Did you put in this code? Did you put in this code? This, put in this code. So it was supposed to help. What ended up happening is that all these codes are for sicknesses. So how are we going to make money? Only if I use sick codes. Mm. So I have to use codes. I can only get paid if you're sick. There is no, I mean, yes, there are well-visit codes, but there's no codes where I spent 45 minutes spending time with my patient, making sure that they have access to food or making sure that he or she's safe in their relationship or making sure like what's in their way psychologically. There's no code for spending extra time with our patients, making sure that they're well, but there is a code for diabetes and hypertension and all this. So the only way to make money in this industry is to code for illness. So by accident, because <laughs> that was not the intent of these codes, the only way, the, the whole business rests on being sick. And if you want wellness, you have to go like to my other company, to like to hold like holistic, functional, where we can spend time with you because unfortunately it's coming out of your pocket. You're like, I want better care. How much does it cost? Here's an hour. I need an hour of your brain time because the insurance is well. So the, it's sick care. Healthcare is sick care. And if you want well care, you honestly have to go somewhere else. I've so I've, I've heard this brand of what you're sharing from a lot of other physicians who have sort of taken this um, this roguish path, if you will. So from from your perspective, you built your your healthcare business from the ground up to from what I'm reading about you and what I know about you is sort of to challenge the norm of what we just talked about. And what's fundamentally flawed with our current healthcare system is what sort of took you on this path, right? So you you have a new approach to medicine. You just you sort of teased us a second ago on the holistic side, this integrative approach that you take. What was it that was sort of the straw or the chicken that broke the proverbial back that sort of put you into this space finally? The chicken straw. Um, yeah. The chicken straw, and I would, I would imagine that every single integrative uh, doctor provider that you speak to is going to tell you that either they or someone they love was sick. And when either you or someone you love is sick with certain illnesses, you can't fit in the system anymore. And so you opt out. Um, so my wife was sick and the system only offered her medication. And that's not wrong. I mean, sometimes you need medication. I'm not against medication. Sure. I, sure. But in her case, we knew that there had to be something else besides this. That's why I call it the new method because my patients always know. And we knew. And so this is pre-internet the way it is now. We're, we're older. And so we went hunting and we found this crazy doctor who was doing functional medicine. He had the audacity to suggest that nutrition had to do with any of it, which is outrageous because food doesn't count. I hope everyone realizes I'm sarcastic. And it was extra outrageous because we thought we were healthy, right? We looked the part, we fit the part of healthy people. And it turns out we were causing the autoimmunity. So we would have never gotten to that answer in the system. I'm in medicine, she's in medicine. We met in the ER. Our friends are in medicine. Like if there was anyone who would have gone to find a solution within the system, it would be us. It was not there. So once I realized that, I started just that was it. Once you open a Pandora's box, I just kept taking another class, another class, another class. And then I realized there was a whole world of people who don't fit the algorithm, who need more. And the people who come to me from that space have already seen everyone. I, and I'm not the smartest. I'm not the best, but I can put the narrative together. I, I, have diff I have a different set of tools that I can offer once you no longer fit in the medical model that exists. And I kind of want to draw into that a little bit because, you know, 
you're being humble, humble and whatnot. But from what I understand from integrative medicine, functional medicine in of itself is that rather than just treating the problem in a reactive state, you're sort of treating things systemically as, as getting to the root of the problem. And there's expiration involved. And it's not just, hey, take a pill, go home, come back and see me in a month type of thing. Is, is that's a fair statement? Absolutely. You know, I mean, let's let's go an obvious one that everyone can relate to. An obvious one is if you if you're diabetic, you go to the doctor, they give you medicine. It's not wrong, but that's not the answer. You know, the answer is to remove sugar from your life and then you don't need the medicine. Right. So that's a pretty obvious one. It's true for autoimmunity. A lot of people with autoimmunity, there's medication helps calm down the, the symptoms, but it also has severe side effects. But if we find out the trigger, like an obvious one is gluten or, you know, or mold, if you find the trigger, then we manage the autoimmunity and we no longer need the medication. So think of that diabetes metaphor for just about every disease. Would you think it's a fair thing? Sorry, I'm writing something down. You said it, I don't want to forget. Do, would you think it's a fair statement to say that the same systemic approach that you take to curing people, the antithesis of that is the systemic approach that whoever is behind healthcare is using to keep us sick so that they have a business? Okay, so you're saying like, are there people so, on So it's, it's, it seems a bit pernicious and planned out to me, as opposed to just, hey, we need to make some more money. It, it's almost cool. it's almost like, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. It, okay. It's almost like, and again, these are my observations and my opinions, so people keep yourselves together. It almost seems <laughs> It almost seems like there is a concerted effort, a pernicious effort to keep people sick. And I just, you know, from a basal level, I think about obesity and I travel the world a lot. And you mentioned at the outset of the show in America, and that really should be hammered home a bit because Americans diets are not the same diets as anywhere else in the world I've been. And like, I think my data might be wrong, but I think something like 50% of us adults are obese. That's one in like 1.5, 1.2 Americans are obese. There's all sorts of child obesity that's going on. And you talked about food and what we eat. It's like, during the pandemic, of all the things that you would think would really help us get through an immune-based disease would be healthcare centered around exercise, activity, your diet, your consumption practices, the amount of sunlight you get, things that we know are tried and true. And in fact, none of that was ever talked about. It was like separate everybody, lock everybody up, keep them in your house, break down the entire fabric of societies and get people sicker and more sicker and sicker. And, and now we are where we are today. And it just sort of, to me, it seems like, sorry, not going uh, down the conspiracy theorist route, but it just sort of seems like it's kind of planned out. I'm going to say that there's, there's two pieces to this. I don't know if it's planned out but when the problem exists and no one gives a shit mm. is more the thing because like so that's why i brought that history lesson in like for example the codes came in thinking it's going to help bring costs down what it ended up doing was creating a disaster that no one wants to fix okay so that i think what happens is you know they try things and then once it's a fucking mess they don't give a shit because there's and the reason they don't give a shit is because there's no money to be made from it Without question, the way to solve things in this country is to find a way to make money from it. So if we were able, like, look right now at this medication for weight loss. All of a sudden, weight loss is a big fucking deal with Govi and I'm going to let the curse, right? You said I am. You know, with Govi and all, and all the, what's the other, Manjaro, all these medications. Because they're making money out of it. Someone discovered that this diabetic medication, this diabetic, diabetic medication, not a weight loss medication, helped these diabetics lose weight. And so now it's like, Manjaro will go over there, we'll go over clinics, so there's Manjaro Clinic. All of a sudden, we care about weight. We don't give a shit about weight. We care about how to make money. 
So at the heart of every decision that happens systemically in this country is the desire to make money. Now, there are some people who will create pretty amazing programs and still make money out of it. There are some venture capitalists out there. There are some millionaires out there who will find a way to make money and move the needle for the good. There are people like that. I'd want to acknowledge them. But a lot of the people will make money and doesn't matter what happens to people. So we need more of the people with the money or the people who know how to make money who, who can help us solve our problems. And, and I, I see a lot of really good that can be done. What I consider there is ethical capitalism. There are people with money who's like, I'm going to make money for this, but I'm also going to make sure that it helps the people there. That's all that it's okay. But there's a lot of capitalists who are not ethical. But I also want to put some responsibility on the people. In today's day and age of information, I mean, you can look, you can watch every single one of my podcasts for free. And many people like me. And people do not want to let go of the donuts. And we have to not, I mean, yes, there's a lot of blame to up there without question. I'm with you. But there is a lack of personal accountability. I now, agree. So now there are some people that truly, truly, truly live in a food desert. They have no access. I'm not talking about them. And, you know, it is our responsibility to, to lift them up. But there's a lot of people with resources, with income, with the uh, uh, mental ability to watch a video and understand it and say, fuck it, pass the Cheetos. So <laughs> I do work in some hospitals and I'm not going to drop any names, but I do work in some hospitals and, and some of the staff are some of the most unhealthy people I've ever seen in the hospital themselves. Yes. So you're spot on about the accountability piece. Like we have a choice on whether we reach for your Cheetos or not. We have a choice whether we get up and exercise every morning or not. So ultimately I agree with you 100%. The blame is on us. But at the same time, simultaneously to that, since most people really just want instant gratification on and, and, and where's my next fix, if you will, like a drug addict, like they're just watching one like with horse funnels on, just literally watching one piece of information stream and being told where to go, what to do, how to do it, when to do it, et cetera, et cetera. And so thinking outside the box of like, maybe I should put down this bag of Cheetos and pick up an apple probably doesn't fucking process on their their minds too much. No, it, it doesn't. So I guess the question, I, I mean, it's both, right? Because look, you are exposed to the same thing I'm exposed to. You make different decisions than the person who's eating the donuts. You have, and you have the same, you know, at some point, you do have to make a decision for yourself, right? And I, you yeah, so sorry. I didn't, I didn't make my point clear enough. Sorry. I'm, I'm, okay. what, what I guess what I was trying to say, and I don't disagree with you, but we're on the same page. I'm just going to play devil's advocate and fuck with you a little bit here. I'm down. So, I'm down. So most people view government and the medical establishment like we sort of viewed our parents as kids like all knowing all the godlike like you are like my dad used to beat the fuck out of me on a daily basis but i was like oh i guess this is normal everyone gets drowned in a bathtub on a weekly basis like hey, <laughs> his dad he knows what's what right hey dad oh, oh, oh. you know so it's like but at some point you know i started realizing around high school that like hey not all my other friends get beat up every day like not every one of my friends moms gets dragged through the house like i don't think dad I'm just going to go on a whim here and say, I think you might be a little fucked. So, but most people sort of view that right. As like their parents. And I think a lot of people, because they, they're not you, they, they haven't started their own lemonade franchise six times. They sort of watched one narrative because they think like, why would the government have anything bad to do to me? Why would the medical establishment have my work, my, my, worst interests at stake here. And so they just sort of like fall in line and do whatever they're told. And so while that's not a good excuse for being ignorant and naive, 
it still explains why a lot of people just sort of have gone the route that they've gone because they're not given anything else. I'm I'm in Italy recently and I'm walking down the streets and I can literally pick up and pull oranges and lemons off the trees. Like you literally it's you don't pay for it. Like there's every road you turn, there's somebody selling fresh fruits and vegetables. Like where was the last time? I don't know where you live, but I've never once in my entire life been anywhere in the USA unless it was the farmers market that I've gone where I could just like pull over and like grab a bucket of tomatoes. It was like that doesn't happen. No, you're right. You're right. Our leadership, as leaders, we are responsible to show our citizens different options. Without question, I am with you 100%. I mean, every time I leave this country, I just like you, like the bodega has nuts and figs. Crazy I mean, yes, they all have cigarettes, but they have nuts and figs. They don't <laughs> just have Cheetos, right? So see, what we're exposed to here is crazy. It's which is which goes back to my original point. It almost seems like a, per, a pernicious planned approach at the cost of my original question, yeah. all for the sake of the almighty greenback. Like, I don't really see how the well there's of, any other interpretations from it. Yes. At the end of the day, I guess we're saying the same thing, but differently. I think the goal is to make money. It doesn't matter if it harms people, as opposed to the goal is to harm people. That's where I think we're different. I don't think the goal is to harm people. I don't think they give a shit enough. The goal is to make money at all costs. So, and that's not just with food. That means if I have a factory and I can fudge my numbers so the EPA can be off my back, I don't fucking care what goes in the air, right? I mean, we just saw a repeal of a lot of stuff on the EPA in the past presidency because who cares as long as we make money. So it's it's not because I want to harm. If you ask these people, they don't want to harm. They just want to make money and they don't give a shit. Who They don't give a shit. Why? Because they go into their homes with special air purifiers and they have personal chefs and they use different doctors. So they're living in a completely different America than we are. Do think, unto thee, but not for me. Yes, that's exactly right. it. They don't, I think it's, they just don't get, they don't see it as a moral responsibility. So why have you gone a different route? What was the impetus for you to sort of look at the system like you are critically thinking and pragmatically observing and say, there's a different way to do this. And and why hasn't every other doctor who has taken the same Hippocratic oath that you has, and that you have, see this and sold themselves out? Well, so let's say this. I don't think doctors are evil, right? You have to remember that they went to med school. They spent 15 years of their life dedicating to a craft. And none of these young kids understand the business. They don't go in knowing. Like my son's going to go into pre-med. He's 22. Like he may understand it because he's with me, but most of these kids, they're kids. You go to college, they don't know. And then they spend the next 15 years looking at a fucking elbow, like they're neurosurgeons. Like they get, and the more specialized they are, the more they don't know, they don't understand the business. They're taught diseases and how to fix diseases. And they're like, oh, it's cool. If you ask any med student, I really want to help people. I really want to heal people. Any med student, no one goes in with malice. And then they come out and they had spent probably half a million dollars and a good portion of their life. And they're put into a system that they did not create. What are they going to do? They can't unfuck the system. So everyone tries to do the best that they can within parameters. Listen, I still practice primary care. The reason I was late today is because I do primary care on Mondays. The reason I was late is because someone tried to slip in to do functional medicine, but, <laughs> but and in primary care, I follow the primary care rules. I do not spend a lot of time on my patients. It is not possible to spend a lot of my time on my patients. Not what, it's a volume-driven business. I have to code. I have to medicate. I have to do all of these things because I can't fix that system. Now, 
So you're asking these people who've dedicated their lives to learn something, like, why aren't they fixing this? It's not their system to fix. The politicians have to fix it. Like they are, the doctors are pawns just like the, the patients. And this is the thing I try to tell you, but like, there is no malice. These doctors did not, we do not get kickbacks from like pharmaceuticals. Like there's no malice here. They dedicated, like to get through med school, dedicate a shitload of time. You did not do that. You, you have no, you have no, you have no time. By the time you graduate, the policy already changed 16 times. Now, are there some people who, listen, and I took a leap, taking a leap to open up another business. A lot of people who go to med school are not business people. They're not going to take a leap and start from scratch. I had to go back to school. I have to, you know, start from scratch. I had to learn retail, how to market. This is not the things that you learn like the first time around. So, so why aren't people opting out? Like, it's a huge ask. I've already spent 15 years learning how to like fix the eyeball because I'm, a, you know, an eye specialist. Now you're asking me to open up another business. It's an unfair ask. It's like going to, you know, the person at Verizon and saying, why, you know, this fucking cellular system sucks. And like, bro, I just sell phones. Like, like, what, like I didn't create Verizon. I don't own Verizon. So I don't think that when we are, we have that anger, it's not appropriate to put it at the doctor level. It really is a political conversation. The people who so, designed so, it. So I don't disagree. I don't disagree with that. That like the leadership in most parts of the world now seem to be operating on their own agenda. But here's where I disagree with you. As a physician, you have all taken a Hippocratic oath and the core elements of the Hippocratic oath are beneficence, which is, a commitment acting in the best interest of the patients that you're you're helping. Non-maleficence, which is making sure that you do no harm and avoid any actions that could unnecessarily harm the patients. And all the other pieces that go with it that you know much better, better than I do. So from my perspective, and I'm speaking from firsthand experience with physicians that I have spoken to, they have said exactly what you've said. I have, I have no options. What, what am I supposed to do? So but they're also gonna... not doing malice, like based on the signs that they learned, because you are going from it and you're assuming that, and I'm with you, by the way, but you're assuming that the things that in certain like science, like you, you're thinking yours is the truth, but based on what you learn in med school, they are beneficent and they are not doing any malfeasance. They are not because they learned you, you're diabetic your A1C is this, this is the medication I give you and your numbers get better. So I am not doing you any harm. I am improving you. Are there other options? Sure, but that is not in my tool set. Hmm. So, but they're not harming you. They're not saying, hey, let me worsen your diabetes. Let me not give you medication. What you and I are saying is that there's a whole other world to explore that they don't have in their tool, the tool set, but also a lot of the patients who come in don't want that tool set. I hear you and I don't disagree. And it's a really good point. And I'm going to add one more and then we'll move off this topic. Yeah. If I witness a murder, I didn't mm -hmm. commit the murder. I didn't kill the person. I saw it happen. I didn't intervene. I just kept mm -hmm. walking away. Am I advocated for that? It's I don't report it. Well, well, maybe not from the sense, and again, this is a question, maybe not from the sense of the radicalness of, of the outcome. Like maybe, maybe by giving me pharmaceuticals to continually take over and over aren't necessarily directly going to kill me. But as you know, better than anyone else, the fallout and the side effects and all the different pieces of just keeping people sick, that's not taking an orange off of a tree and going out and exercising and, and going for a walk. So, so there are by turning the other cheek, if you will. They're not turning the other cheek. That's not true. 
Okay, so like, that's my question. So yeah, th- they're not this- turning the other cheek. Turning the other cheek, if you're going to stick with your metaphor, would be a diabetic coming in and saying, eh, I can't help you get the fuck out. That's turning the other cheek. Turn- what they're doing is let me give you all the tools that I have because I only that's- came out of school with these tools. I'm going to give you everything I have to help you with your diabetes. And you might say, I think there's other tools around. Like, I'm sure there are, but these are the tools that I have. So they are actively trying to help with their tool set. Listen, I just had a patient earlier today who I've known for years, and he's a hot mess. Like, he has psoriasis, and he has joint pain, and he just came because he was hoarse like a few months ago. I was like, dude, you need to go to ENT. You're not supposed to be hoarse like this. Finally went to the ENT, found a cyst on his vocal cords, and now he's talking to me again that instead of smoking, he wants to vape. And I'm like, are you joking me right now? Like, what is it going to take for you and, and I was like, you know, and I know his psoriasis can go away if he changes diet. And I know his joint pain can go away. I've seen him for years. And he's like, yeah, but my wife bought apple pies. I'm like, listen, I need you to next to say the sentence. I need you to say, I like apple pies more than I care about my joint pain. Because he came for medication refills. I'm like, how many more times am I refill this pain medicine for you? Because it's going to hurt you. And he's like, the apple pies came in. I was like, so you need to understand that you like apple pies more than now. I gave him the medication that he wanted. <laughs> the surgeon removed the cyst. Like everyone did the thing. This is not malfeasance. This is not right. Like this is within the parameters that we can do. Now there's a whole other world of things, but a patient also needs to opt in as well. So it's really, you know, I am mad at the industry. I am not mad at the doctors. The doctors are doing everything they can in a really fucked up system. So, I am with you. I just want to make sure because people come into the doctor's office and they get mad at the staff and at the doctors, like especially don't get mad at the staff because that lady is just working for like minimum wage answering the phone. Like we're displacing our anger. We should be really mad at our politicians that that this is okay. We should really be mad at the that the lobbying is allowed, that the fucking pharmaceuticals are in charge of everything, that like this is where we should be at it higher up than the physicians. The physicians are not the top of the totem pole. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Higher up is where we should have our anger. So some of the things that you have just said uh, are, are certainly not standard vernacular in your profession. So how many people have you pissed off in, in your journey to where you are right now? <laughs> it's like, it's like my, I just piss people off all the time. I do. We're, I just, we're kindred spirits <laughs> I just, in, that, in that regard. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've, I've known to piss off a few people from time to time because I don't know if you know, I don't really have a filter on my mouth. I don't know if it's what. No, I've never known that. Wow, that's <laughs> we'll get to know about you. Unlike me, I really do. So, listen, this is why I tell my patients, this is why I tell everyone we have to use the systems that we have to the best that we can. So, instead of bucking it, so go to your provider, go to your doctor, get your annual done, get your screenings done, get your mammals done, get your pap smear, get your colonoscopy. If you're sick, if you have cancer, if you have a broken bone, Use the system, but when it comes to prevention, wellness, or um, trying to manage disease differently, add the tool, add all the tools that you have options to. Don't buck this, you're still gonna need the system. There is no way that you're not going to need it at some point, even if it's just to get blood work, right? You need well, to- Well, you're telling, you're telling us as patients to do that, why can't all doctors do that like you're doing that? Like, why not look for alternative ways to just to, to, to handle the, the, the patient? Because they have to go back to school and learn a whole. I know, school. I get it, but that's but but, but, but that's, I, if I'm thirty, me, that's where... I, but why if I'm thirty? You did I it. Spent, 
Yeah, but that's a choice. You can't tell people what to do with their lives. I'm, I'm 30 years old. I already spent 15 years in school. I have two kids I have to put through. I should go back to school because why don't you go back to school? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I should be going back to school if I want to change what I'm doing. 100%. Yeah, like, why I are you agree. asking people to go back to school so that you can have what you want? You go back to school. Like, it doesn't, it's such a well, weird ask. Well, I don't know if I'm really necessarily saying you should go back to school as a doctor. But I'm just simply saying. Well, well I guess. I guess what I'm saying is, is you've, you took the traditional approach with your medical initially, but then you realized that there was a better way or an alternative way rather to do something. So you had the moxie and the nerve and the charisma to go out, go back and the dedication and the discipline and the accountability to do that because you realized that there was something else that could help your patients. So I'm just simply suggesting why isn't that all people, and I understand they don't because not all people are the same, but doctors just like us, I feel have a moral responsibility to. They don't have uh, a moral responsibility to go back to school. They don't have a moral okay. responsibility to get. Well, not go back to school, but present but us with an alternative option. But they have to learn that alternative option. It doesn't just come. They spend 15 years learning one option and all the skill set for that. To learn alternative means you have to go back to school to learn that. They don't have that. It's like you're asking the plumber, why can't they do electric? They never have gotten trained in electric. And now you're telling the plumber, well, I don't understand why you can't go back and, and learn electricity because I didn't go to school for electricity. I went to school for plumbing and I love plumbing. And there's a lot of really cool things that happen with conventional medicine. There's probably some pretty fucking awesome interventions that happen that are pretty fucking life-saving that integrative cannot do. But you can't get mad at them for not going back to school. It's, everybody okay. can go to school. Well, all right, we can agree on that. We can move off the topic because um, I, I agree with most of what you're saying in principle. I, I don't agree with part of it where they have a moral responsibility because they're in they a profession a moral, where- They have a moral responsibility for the education that they have to do the best that they have with the tools that they have. They don't have a moral responsibility to learn the things that you want them to learn. They don't have to. There's enough good things that are happening and it's not all bad. There is so much amazing life-saving work that's happened in conventional medicine that luckily for you, you don't need it, but there's so much that's happening there. They don't have a moral obligation to go for more. Other people will do that and you can go there. And it's your, just enough. like you can't tell the dermatologist, why don't you know about joints? Go back to school and know about joints. You're only talking about my skin. I didn't want to learn about joints. I want to learn about skin. So I decided to suspend my life. I wanted to learn about both. I don't have a moral responsibility to fill my brain with things to make you happy. You want, you, you know. <laughs> I can accept that. Let's move, let's move to a different topic. Let's get to know you a little bit more. How did okay. you get to the journey that you are? So you've done a bunch of different things. As I said in the introduction, you are an entrepreneur. You've started multiple businesses. All of them sort of centered around healthcare, right? But yeah. prior, to, prior to that journey, where were you? And then how did you sort of get to that space? Where, where are you from, actually? You're in New York, is that right? New York. I'm in New York, yeah. New York, um, you're like uh, upstate New York, like in uh, what part? My you can't tell my accent. Like I'm, well, I'm Stan, I'm Staten Island. You know, this is the Brooklyn, Staten Island, New York City kind of accent. Got it. But I don't know if that's where you actually worked right now. So where you? Yeah, yeah, that's how I work okay, right Got it. Okay, cool. So what's your story? How'd you get to where you are? I started off as a nurse, and I started off on like a med search floor, which is like a regular floor, and then I went to emergency, and then I went to trauma, and I loved that shit so much. But then I wanted more. So then, see, that's the theme. I always want more. So I went back to NP school. I gra graduated as a family nurse practitioner. And then I opened up EG Healthcare. EG Healthcare is here in Staten Island. And um, we take care at this point of over 20,000 patients, pediatric, adult. We have house calls for geriatric. And it is 
so such a wonderful place to work. And as part of my responsibility as a leader, I feel like not only do I take care of my patients, but it's really important that I take care of my team. My mm-hmm. team has become the focal point of like EG Healthcare's mission. So I say that for any entrepreneur, if you want a successful business, take care of your team. And when I say that, that doesn't mean you have to pay them the most. We have small things in here. Like we have a washer dryer because some of our girls don't have, they have to go to the laundromat. We make mm-hmm. sure there's food on the table every day for lunch. It's not expensive. It's not, it's fancy. It's it's like pasta, but there's, there's, cause sometimes people were skipping lunch because it's pretty expensive to eat lunch sure. these days. We give micro loans. We help them go to school. If your kid, it, you know, these schools close every other day, single moms, bring your kid to work. We'll figure it out. So we've created a space where we can just give our team so much more. It's, you know, and I say that for the small businesses, sometimes you're like, oh, I can't compete with Amazon. I can't compete with the, you know, the big company. There's different ways and your team will stay with you. They won't leave you for that extra dollar if you help them in the places that they need because it's not only money. There's so much more to it. Um, are your are your leadership skills learned behaviors? Yes. Or is this so a trial maybe. and error trial and error no, situation? Yeah, it's a trial and error situation. Yeah. It's trial and error. And it's and it's initially when I opened up, it was all about the patient. And as I got bigger and I had more team, we re- I realized it was about the team and they will take care of the patient. What are some areas where you faltered in that prior to this? I would Instead of asking, hey, why isn't this done? Like, what's in your way? I'd be like, well, get it fucking done, <laughs> right? And I learned over time that if you ask what's in your way, you're going to not only discover what's in that employee's way, but you're going to discover probably something pretty fucked up about your own business that you didn't realize mm-hmm. was there. Instead of just saying, get it done, get it done. And then you find out that the reason they can't get it done is because the printer's broken or something like that, you know? You know, like... Like recently, I just had this experience this morning. She's like, you know, I, I feel overwhelmed by this. I'm like, really? It doesn't really take that much time. She's like, no, it takes time. And I was like, why don't you walk me through that? And by the time we walked through it, it wasn't a matter of time. It was because the way she was asked by someone else overwhelmed her. And so I was like, wow, that's really good to know. Now I know how to approach you when we have a new project. So the old me would have been like, just fucking get it done. What's your problem? The new me now knows that if I approach this particular individual a certain way, I'm going to get so much more out of her. She's going to be happy. I'm going to be happy. So asking the what's in your way. And now, by the way, I use my patients. My patient comes back and they say, I didn't take this medication. I can't just say, what the fuck's wrong with you? Take the medication. Like, what's in your way? And they might say to me, my copay is $100. Well, you know what? That's a big, big fucking deal. Mm -hmm. I'm going to figure out, we got to change this to generic or something. Or, you know, I work nights. You told me I have to take it in the morning. Wow, that's really good information. Let's talk about that. So asking what's in your way helps you everywhere. You know, what's my biggest takeaway from that is changing perspectives and having the introspection and self-awareness to be able to have that, that ability to do that. Somebody asked me the other day if I was a hammer or a nail, actually, um, pretty good question. And I, I had to think about it for a second. And I was like, well, I sort of try to be both because, you know, I think there's always practicality in both sides of that equation. But I don't think I always have had that perspective. I used to be a hammer like you. Like, yes. Just get the shit done, man. I don't care how yeah. you do it. Just get it done. And I realized, you know, and I don't know if this is because, you know, with age and wisdom or experience or all of the above that you start to change your sort of take on things. Right. Well, hopefully you do. Hopefully you yeah. evolve. Not everybody does that. Right. I would say it's, I would say it's because of my wife. Cause I'll come home and be like, I'm firing this person. She's like, maybe before you fire, you might want to ask some questions. And I'm like, you think? She's like, yeah, and then I go ask questions. I'm like, oh, fuck, you were right. And so over time, I'm like, maybe I'll ask before I come home angry. 
<laughs> well, it goes back to your first statement that the, the people that are in your space, the people that you operate, the people that you work with, people that are in your intimate circle, like they do have influence over you. And so making really good decisions to surround yourself with quality people. But that hammer or nail thing, it, it's interesting to go back to that. It's interesting to sort of analyze that from your own perspective, because it sounds like you were once a hammer and now you're realizing that there's a time and a place to be a hammer and a time and a place to be a nail. Yes, I definitely used to be. And the girls have been there for a long time. Sometimes they'll come in and they'll say, listen, we really need old E back right now. We need you to come down on this person. I'm like, I'm not that person. I do. And they're like, it's let, not fair. Let me fair. call my wife. Let me call my wife. What should I do? <laughs> like, well, like, it's not fair because you were so, you so mean to us in the beginning. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a better version. But over time, you know, you find out that your way is not the right way. And just, just don't be an asshole. That's, that's, yeah. that's the advice. So, so being then, able to sh- being able to shift your perspective though that's not something everyone can do so kudos to you that you've had that the wherewithal to figure that out I appreciate that I really I mean I try to be that ethical capitalist you talk about I really try you know that brings me like well you already know about the new method I did that because of my wife but then well, well we don't I know about it but let's talk about oh. that in a minute I I want to hear sort of about all the things you're doing because I know you've got a what you've got four different businesses running right now simultaneously yeah. right all of them sort of doing different things. Tell me about those four businesses. Yeah. So I guess we'll come back to the new method last, but you know, Hawk scribes came from a place like when you're in medicine, you have the option of using scribes. Scribes are people who chart for you. Mm-hmm. And when they chart for you, you know, it could be in the room. So we had virtual scribes and long wait, story. Wait, hold on a second. Cause I want to yeah. complete, I want to explain that because I don't think a lot of people clearly understand that. Every time you see a patient, every time you have any sort of activity in your medical practice, you have to take some sort of a note on it so that the system has it as recorded for posterity, for future use, et cetera. And so some doctors have some a nurse that comes in the office with them. Some people use systems where they record it over a memo, voice memo, or other people use systems like you've created this hawk scratch, right? That's how that works. Yeah. So I used to have someone in the room with me come in the room with me. And so just so you understand, I think we talked offline, when doctors and nurse participants have to chart, it takes like... Mm-hmm. their entire life away. So they might see you for five minutes and that will create 10 minutes of paperwork. And if you don't write, you have to write it. It's like not an option. It's legally required. So scribes help you bring that down. And the reason I like scribes is because it lets me focus on my patient and give you my full eye contact instead of being like this, like, yeah, what did you say? Like that, right? So, so I really always felt that it was an expense that was well-warranted because it makes the patient experience so much better because my patients would say, I go to so-and-so and he doesn't even look me in the eyes, like make eye contact people. So eventually we now have it like virtually where you walk in kind of with, you know, your phone or something. And there are women in India who are actually transcribing it. And the reason that's important, this is another ethical capitalist is because these women that we hire are women that culturally they are, this is a nighttime job there. They are not allowed to leave their home at night. So this mm-hmm. allows them to work. Their families see that they're safe and they're able to put food on the table. And so it's been, you know, the opportunity to change lives. And, and the person who runs it is local. So I made sure that we are paying correctly and adequately and not exploiting anyone there. And so it's been like really gratifying to create that piece, you know, in another part of the world. So somebody is actively listening in when you're with a patient and whether through your phone or through a Zoom or whatever system that a doctor could put in place to use your system and someone else transcribes everything that goes on and then shares that back with you? Yeah. So at the end of the day, all we have to do is review it, make sure it's accurate, put in the right codes, back to code, and then and submit it. But instead of the doctor being like a secretary, like clicking, 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 Mm -hmm. clicking, it's kind of offloaded. 
So it's a win-win for everyone. And the way we designed it was in a way that's also helping like women in a different country. So that worked out really well. And then let me ask you a question about that. If that I was yeah. just thinking about, you know, AI is, is, you know, front and center of everything right now. Could it, would it, and should it replace the service that you've created where it's not a woman in India that you're protecting in, in that space and someone else is doing it? Like what's your moral obligation there? I think it would take several renditions before AI took over because there's two parts of it. There is a skill set. This is not transcription. It's hearing the whole story and knowing which details to take. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's also, they have to go into a template and put it in, like it's in your EMR, like your electronic medical records. I don't know that AI can do that. It's not like it's just writing a paragraph in Word. Got it. So maybe down the road, it can get savvier. I don't see that happening right now. You know, but who knows? Like certainly, it certainly can. But right now, I don't see that. Not to put you on the spot, but you know, we've been talking about moral obligation. So you've obviously created this system where you're not only helping yourself and 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 the people in your office, but other doctors who are using your system. But it's simultaneously that you're helping a whole other ethos in another part of the world that's also being able to get rewarded because of the system. If and when the situation came along, AI was proficient enough to do that same service. Is that something that you would switch to, or would would you be, because of the direction that you've taken this, would you be sort of feel morally obligated to keep your system in place because of the other people's lives that you're affecting? In general, because I buck the trend on everything, in general, I would do everything I can to keep my people. Like I am the most overstaffed provider ratio-wise, and I do it for my patients, mm -hmm. and I do it for my team. So I do it for my patients so that there's no long wait time. Because I can go down to like two people and just wait in my office for six hours until we get there, we get there, right? I don't want the wait time to be long. And, but I also want my girls to get out on time. And you do that by hiring up. So generally speaking, I don't always make the decision my CFO is happy with. <laughs> and, and I know you're not bullshitting me because you were 20 minutes late helping another patient. So uh, this actually, you're actually speaking what you do and doing what you do. You talk, you're walking the walk. So as long as we're not losing money, I don't necessarily have to make the most money if it ultimately creates an environment that everyone is happy with. And, and part of that is making sure that you are staffed enough that people could take off and now that people are drowning. Like all these things, like that's a decision. That's a high up decision. When I hear, listen, I'm on, I'm on TikTok. I see what people complain about. I'm like, I don't want my team complaining about that. How do we fix it? So, you know, I assume that unless something crazy happened, I would probably keep the crew that I have. I, I like that response. How are you using social media for your business? That's interesting. What do you, you, you've mentioned TikTok a couple of times. I'm assuming you have a pretty big TikTok presence. For the new method, yeah. The new method, uh -huh. we have like half a million followers. Is that a lot? Oh. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not on TikTok. Everyone tells me I need to start doing it, but I'm not. So I don't know. Yeah, it's TikTok. We have a, we have a YouTube channel. We have a podcast. So the new method is exactly because my wife was sick. And then we went down this road. And then I went back to school. And so the new method is for those patients who are either, they're on the spectrum. They're either don't feel well, but all their labs are fine. And so they're like, well, there's nothing we could do for you. Or they're already sick and they want different options. And the difference between group A that doesn't feel well, but everything's fine. And group B that's already sick is just a matter of time. If you leave a patient who's not feeling well and everything is normal and you do nothing, over time they will become sick. So this is a spectrum of people who come to me. Um, they've already kind of been through the system. They have either answers or no answers and they want a different approach. Um, so that's what the new method is about. It's called new because the patients always know. 
And it's a method because I really created, it's very objective. There's, we graph symptoms. It's not like, oh, I think you look better today. It's like, it's very methodical on how we get to the root cause of what's going on. So that is the one that we have like the following on. And like, I, I actually write my own content. I don't use AI. <laughs> so I write my podcast. I write my TikToks. I do all these things. And I love it. It's a passion project. Does new stand for something? Just that the patients always knew there was a better way. Yeah. I mean, I knew that part, but I wasn't sure if you made it into a fun little acronym. Nope. I should, right? No, I didn't. <laughs> might be good, good. Might be good branding and marketing. You do a TikTok in it. You do a TikTok, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's a new method. And then I have an education business for nurse practitioners. But, and that's it. That's all four businesses. And you have a cloning business where you've cloned yourself. <laughs> I've cloned it. So I, so have a very, it, I have a very good number too. It, it sounds to me, based upon the the trajectory of your life, that you're all about self-empowerment and sort of going after what it is that you want to go after. And I, I get the sense that when you treat your patients, you're sort of, you're all about accountability and empowerment from their perspective as well. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. And, but making sure that I understand where their limitations are, but yes. How can we as patients better show up? We've talked about the doctor's responsibility and obligation but how can we as patients show up and be better humans what, from your take, from your perspective? So I think it's really important to know when you're going into to a doctor's office what their, what their capability is, right? Like you wouldn't go to a gynecologist for a, a, a penis exam, right? So you want to go, <laughs> I want to make it as Well, I don't know anymore today. I'm not really sure. <laughs> it seems well, like there's some crossover going on now. Okay. So. Fair enough. There's some crossover. Fair enough. So let's just say, let's make it less. That. I'm not you making a get, judgment. I'm just no, saying like there no, is no, some no. crossover. But you won't go to your eye doctor for dental work. Let's make it. All right. Maybe, <laughs> I, maybe I didn't can, choose something that was so obvious anymore. We could settle on that now. <laughs> we'll settle on that. So it's a fair point. Fair point. So, um, so when you go to your primary care, know that there is a limit to their knowledge and use the system to your advantage. And don't get mad. If you get mad at the, them, it's, it's only going to, it's only going to work against you because you're going to be flagged as that annoying patient. And we all know who our annoying patients are. Trust, <laughs> trust the whole I'm team. I'm not on those lists. I promise you. The whole team will know the whole team. Will like, Oh my God, Mr. Smith is coming today. Be like, Oh my God, here we go. So we know when Mr. Smith is coming, right? So don't be Mr. Smith. Don't be the Karen. It's not working out for you. You're not going to re-educate or change the Good system. Picture. Use the system for you. Get the blow work. Ask, ask for the referral. Go to the next referral. Work the system to its end. If you want to go rheumatology, endocrinology, neurology, work the system. Get it. If there's a positive, deal with the positive. But if everything's negative and you know something's wrong, instead of banging your head against the wall, go now is the time to go to integrative or functional because if any integrative or functional medicine provider like myself, anyone worth their salt, is not going to see you until you did all that anyway. I want to see all the labs. I want to see all the MRIs. I want to see all of it. Don't come through with a headache for 20 years and then say you've never had a brain MRI. No, I want to see all of it. Then you're in the right place. So use it wisely. Use all the tools. Just like when you do, when you build a house and you GC it, you have the plumbers, you have the electricians, you don't, you know each piece. So use it wisely. Don't get frustrated. You, now, if somebody's rude to you, just find a different provider. There's no excuse for rudeness. Can I interject there for a second before you continue? Yeah. Speaking from experience, and I agree with everything you're saying, like you have tools, use your, use your arsenal. But speaking from experience, I have a 17-year-old daughter and she's suffering from some sort of a, and I'm not a doctor, so I'm just going to sort of like use my binary terms, 
um, some sort of rheumatic condition, skin allergy, something that we can't quite figure out what it is. And for whatever reason, my insurance, my normal doctor that I've had for my primary care that I've had for 20 years, he's now out of my network. And my some, some, something happened with my insurance. I don't even know. I didn't switch, but something happened. Um, he's with Novant and I'm no longer with Novant. And so from, from a patient's perspective, it was like pulling out my own teeth trying to figure out how to navigate this system because I'm one of those people that refuses to take no for an answer. I'm like, okay, we, we, we got a blockade here. Let's go around here and see if there's a tunnel here or an alleyway here. And so that's like, I'm just constantly probing. We've eventually found a ways to the system, but motherfucker, if it ain't what, like pulling out my own teeth, trying to just sort out some basic care to get my kid in for somebody. Everyone's like, well, you can't come here. You can't do this. You can't get blood work till you have this form. You can't have this form until you get this completed. You have to have this authorization. And we were like literally just, I kid you not, maybe 20 different people we spoke to or saw before we were finally were put down the rabbit hole of the person that finally has helped her now, which is an integrative allergist with an allergist. I don't know. Allergist is a term for them. Rheumatologist. Is that what they're called? Rheumatologist. There are two different things. There's allergist and there's rheumatologist. So he, he, she does both, I think. I can't remember what her term is. Anyway, she's been fantastic, but God bless America. It was a difficult time to get to that point. So are you talking like the insurance blocked you? Insurance. Um, certain doctors wouldn't see us unless we had a note from this person. We had to have an authorization from this person. Insurance had to tell us it was okay to go. It's like we're literally just sitting here waiting. It was like a waiting yeah. game for, for, I think you it know, almost took us six weeks to get that sorted. So here's the thing. I First of all, that sucks, and I'm sorry you went through it. The problem is that, like, let's just say this integrative rheumatologist, let's just say, and she's amazing. The problem is that she only has so much time on her schedule. Mm -hmm. If she did not have checks and balances before seeing her, every person who finished watching a TikTok will make an appointment with her. So it is really important to make sure that not everyone who's like, oh, you know, I woke up like this and I saw on TikTok a thing of rheumatological condition. It's really important to make sure that whoever gets to her actually should be there because otherwise people like you are never going to get in there. Fair so enough. it sucks, but it's like a necessary checks and balances because everyone will go to every specialist. That's the other thing in this country that, that we have so many specialists, but like, I won't get into that, but everyone would just go to the top cardiologist because they had a heart palpitation yesterday when they drank a beer and they don't need that person's time. And then someone with the heart issue can't get in. So there is a reason for it. It could be done better. It could be done savvier. I'm no question, but there is a reason for it because the schedule never ends. You know, like that's why some of the best have like a six month waiting time because yeah. it's like everyone wants to see them. I, I accept your answer. I think it's a good response. You've probably seen a lot of different stories in your life, I imagine, from the different types of patients to the cases that you've solved for people, the mystery ones and whatnot. Are there any particular stories in, in your in your experience that, that sort of resonate and are retold in your mind's eye over and over that kind of endorse and validate why you do what you do? Yeah, I, I got to tell you, like, <laughs> so the people I work with at the New Method, we call them game changers because they like change the game of their life. I would say every one of my game changers, I, it will come up for me all the time because these are people who hit the wall and found me and took the time to just like fingernail by fingernail, like climb out of it and just to watch the human spirit. I mean, sometimes, sometimes it was just like, hey, I wanna be able to like bend down and pick up my wallet. And then suddenly they can, they're like, my God, I tied my shoes today. 
And, and you know, and sometimes it's uh, a woman who had such bad PCOS endometriosis and been trying three years to have kids finally coming into my office saying that she's pregnant. But I guide them, but they're doing the work and like to watch. And then sometimes we hit a wall and they, and they, and they want to break and they try again. And this side of you know, this side of medicine, actually walking through them and taking through it in, in line by line is, it, it keeps me humble. It keeps me on point. It keeps me, um, keeps me motivated to put sometimes like, oh, one more video. I'm like, come on, somebody, because somebody will say to me, hey, I can't come to you. I can't afford you, but your videos I've been watching really helped me change my life. Okay, I'm going back in. Let's do another one. So watching people go do what they need to do to get themselves to the other side, it, it's just, it's amazing. It's Yeah, so, I, I, I can imagine. Like, yeah. I can imagine that that's probably some of the most endearing stories to you, like watching somebody go through a journey and you knowing that you were part of being able to help that journey along the way and then seeing recovery from that. I can imagine how cathartic that yeah. would be. And watching people do, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. To, everybody wants to eat pasta. It's hard. It's hard. <laughs> It's hard. Yeah, it's especially hard. since I just discovered this new kind of pasta called bucatini. I had no idea it existed. Oh, Where the hard. hell have I been all these times? It's like a <laughs> oh, doc. It's like a thick spaghetti noodle, but it's hollow and it has like um, I can't describe it. It's like eating. I've never had it before, and I recently got turned on to it, and I'm like, I need more. So, <laughs> um, bucatini, it's called. Um, all right, I, I watched this woman literally like roll it and create it in Italy, all but from hand. A, a little a little place that I was in just outside of Napoli, and um, she made this entire meal for us at from scratch, from her garden, from her noodles, like everything came from her from her origin source. I'm just like, I need to live a world like this. It's like, enough <laughs> with this American pasta. I'm moving to Italy. So. Yeah, that pasta probably won't hurt you, so it's okay. What's the origins of your passions around this and in integrative medicine? Like, why did you go that route ultimately? Really because of my wife. If my wife had not gotten sick, I would never have even known it existed. Yeah, but I once was, you found out about that and sort of dove into it further, what was sort of the passion that kept you driving? You had to go back to school. You had to basically start over in a sense, right? So what was the passion my, behind that? You know, it's like once you see, like once someone takes the veil off your eyes, like you can't go back. You can't go can't back. Unlearn. You can't unsee. You yeah. can't unsee. And then like people come in and like, I have this. I'm like, I can help you. I really can. So you know, I'm a problem solver by nature. So I'm like, I have the ability to help you get out of this. And, you know, like I said, some of my patients like, no, I'm good. Please give me my meds. So I guess it's, you know, I drank the blue pill, mm. you know, <laughs> in the matrix. You you are a perpetual <laughs> problem solver. And some of the stuff that I've learned about you in preparing for the show really was inspiring to me. What are some of the, as an entrepreneur, and I, I own a couple of businesses as well. So I sort of know the challenges and the obstacles and the hurdles. And it's like every single day, it's a grind. And it's a very rewarding grind, but literally every single day, like you're faced with something new. Is there one marquee moment or one marquee challenge that you faced that you overcame, like a pivotal challenge in your journey that whether it was with EG Healthcare or um, the new method or these Hawk Scribes business that you have, was there one moment where you were just sort of like up against rock bottom, but you suddenly had this epiphany or this solution, whether it was you or your wife or both, and you're like, that's the that's the reason why I do what I do. And how, how did you solve that problem? You know, I I don't want to disappoint you, but there's never one problem. You know this as an entrepreneur. One thing I know is that it's a cycle, right? And my my kids pointed it out to me. My kids are in their 20s and teens. And my kids were like, because I came home one day, I was like, I can't. Like, it's really bad. Like, situation's a mess. This is not doing well. That's not doing well. And they were like, chilling. And I was like, what? Like, why aren't you taking me seriously? And they're like, 
mom, you're like in a circle. Like, this is you. You're like, this is the worst thing ever. And then you find the way out of it. And you're like, everything is wonderful. Let's try something new. Let's build something new. And then you go back down and say, oh my God, this is the worst ever. So you're just right here, mom. We're just waiting for you to come back up. Don't you know you're in a cycle? And I'm like, oh shit, is that what I do? And they're like, yeah. So we don't even take you seriously anymore. So you know this, it's a cycle. It's like some months you'll come hang out with me. I'm like, what the hell am I doing? This is like, why can't I just go work somewhere in nine to five and just put my blinders on? And then the next day I'm like, I'm so glad I'm an entrepreneur. This is the best day ever. So it's just the cycle. It's a never ending, like what the fuck awaits like all day long. <laughs> I, heard the, I heard a really good story on a podcast I was watching a couple of days ago and he was talking about sort of like the, the pathway to ultimate wisdom and success is imagine your, uh, your life is a, a will because I'm borrowing your metaphor, the will and like a bicycle wheel specifically. And in that bicycle wheel, you have all these spokes, right? That are connected to the exterior of the wheel, the perimeter. And he's like, if you, but most of us operate on the outside of the wheel for most of our lives. And we never actually see the other side of the wheel because it's just constantly spinning and we're on this wheel. So he's like, if you can find a way to slowly traverse your way down the, the core of the wheel into the center so that you can see 360 degrees, you have found the ultimate case of wisdom. I just thought, oh, that's really, really I like cool that. metaphor. I, like I love that, that analogy. Every, everybody talks about the why in business. And, you know, I, I do a lot of branding seminars and, and this helps people figure out why they started their business in the first place. And so you've emphasized in your literature that I've read and on your website and in this conversation here that every business you started was to fix an existing something. So how do you find in which of these ventures, but how do you find your why in, in, in all the things that you're doing every day? What, what is it that sort of keeps motivating you, motivating you to continue? I try to use every platform that I have. I feel very blessed and honored. And I know that a lot of it is just privilege and, and, for, and just being fortunate, right? It's like as much as I do, you have to just be aware of the fact that, you know, you're lucky. I was lucky to be born in, with this brain and this body in this particular yeah. geographical region, right? So, so. I try to make sure that any platform that I am privileged to have, I use to create good. And so that's my litmus test. So if you come to me and say, hey, do you want to, not to, to put this down, but if someone says to me, hey, you should do Botox in your office. I'm like, no, you know what? I don't know that that's necessary. Yes, it will make me money. And there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not against it. But I don't know that that's necessarily going to pass my litmus test, like to make the money just for the sake of the money. But, you know, if someone says, you know, hey, you're going to get really reimbursed if you spend more time screening people for depression. Great. I'm making money and I'm screening people for depression. No brainer. Right. So I have a litmus test where like, is this going to shift for the greater good? If not the whole society, my team. And that is the litmus test I use to make a decision if I'm going to embark on something. Because there's a lot of really great ideas out there, but I have to have something. So if it's just like, hey, you're just going to make money. All right. Do I want to spend my resources on that? I'm not sure. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just my litmus test of like, how, how is this moving forward? And then once I have the platform, how do I use it? So EG Healthcare, we make sure we do food jobs. We make sure we do toy jobs. Why? Because I have 30,000 people following me on Instagram. So if I can use everyone to give me a toy and we help somebody. So using the platform in a non-political, non-denominational way just to help, I feel that that, that's how I make my decisions. <laughs> I, I like that approach. You said, how can I shift my, well, you didn't use these words, but how can I shift my ethos? Is, is this in the best interest of my world? Because, you know, you can't change the, change the political landscape. You can't necessarily change the administrators who are modulating your, your profession and all those things. So I always run up against that. And I'm just curious what your take on that is. What is our obligation as humans? Should our focus be solely within our little ethos? 
or do we have a responsibility to touch other people's lives to not necessarily convince them, but at least share our perspective of the world? And if they're willing to take it, they take it. If they don't, they don't. That's on them. And that's, you know, that's their choice. But what is our what is your role or what is your view on that? We have a responsibility to spread good and kindness. We have a responsibility. Yeah. And not just we focus on good and kindness in your office. Yeah, we have the responsibility everywhere, whether it's opening the door, helping someone. Like, you have a responsibility. My wife and I always stop. And there's an accident on the road. You have a responsibility to do good things. You know, it doesn't mean you have to self-efface. It doesn't mean you have to give everything. I'm not saying that. You don't self-sacrifice. But you have a responsibility on this earth to, to be kind and to help others. Because I don't care who the fuck you are. You did not get here by yourself. You just didn't. You just didn't. Do not get it twisted. Someone helped you. Even if it was just the place you were born. No, there is no such thing as just you and your bootstraps. That's some bullshit. So help others. And the more you raise others, the more you rise. That's just a fact. Mm. It's just a fact. You put other people down, you ain't going nowhere. So it's not only a moral obligation, but it actually makes sense. You're one of the good ones, doctor. If you're ever in Charlotte, I'd love to connect with you. Seriously, I like love in it. person. I love- I'll buy you a beer or two. I really enjoyed I getting to it. know you all this time preparing for the course or for the podcast and appreciate your insights and your candor, especially um, the things that you're convicted about. It's really compelling. Before we go, just sort of anecdotally, if you will, what can we do as humans to be healthier, to be kinder? Like what would, if you had one piece of advice for us before you left this planet to go join your motherland, wherever that be in the sky, (laughs) what would you share with us? What is that piece? Wow, that's a really powerful question. To be healthier is to, you know what? I would say just do a little bit, a little bit at a time. I think one of the things, you know, with social media is like, you have to be all perfect, gluten-free, dairy-free, work out 16 times a week up four in the morning. No, not, no, not all of it. I mean, just do one thing and do, and then the next day do a little bit more because those little things add up. And that's true for kindness. That's true for everything. It's true for your weight loss. It's true for your muscle building. It's true for your savings. One dollar at a time, one pound at a time, one compliment at a time. You know, if people can't exercise, walk down to your driveway. And then tomorrow, walk down to your driveway plus one more step. One little piece at a time. Over time, you would be amazed what you accomplished. So it's one little bit of time because if if you try for all of it, you end up getting into this negative space of like self-hatred and that's not good. I love that. Wow, what a roller coaster of a conversation we've had. We've we've covered a lot of things from from the heartbeats of clinics to the hard truths of healthcare profit system. Uh, we've dived a little bit deep today. Hey, a massive shout out to you. I really appreciate your time, Dr. E, for Thank not you. just joining Likewise. us on this journey today, but for challenging and shaking up the very foundations of healthcare as we know it. Um, you're obviously doing big things over there, and uh, I'm proud that I've had it, and humbled that I've had the opportunity to speak to you. Um, as we wrap it up, it's really clear that the road to wellness and patient. <laughs> centric care uh, that you're doing right now. It's riddled with speed bumps and roadblocks, but people like yourselves are leading the charge. And, and I kind of see you as pioneers in the field and knowing that there's other people like you. And through this podcast, I've had the opportunity to meet a bunch of different physicians and, and medical folks who, who share your perspective. Um, the future for medical looks promising to me. So remember folks, you know, sometimes to fix the system, you have to be a little impolite like Dr. E. Until next time, keep questioning, keep disrupting, and never settle for the status quo. I'm Devo signing off from another enlightening episode of A Little Impolite. Take care, stay curious, see you on the next show. If you enjoyed this episode, 
please consider leaving us a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Your feedback helps us grow and continue to bring you thought-provoking conversations with amazing people. To stay updated on our latest episodes and join the Little Impolite community, be sure to follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where we share news, updates, and even some behind-the-scenes content. For all of our episodes, show notes, and exclusive content, visit our website at alittleimpolite.com. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to A Little Impolite on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. Once again, thank you for tuning in. I'm Devo, and I look forward to having you join us for the next thought-provoking conversation on A Little Impolite. Until then, take care and stay curious.